songs can have a powerful effect on us, can't they? Especially if it's a song that is sort of linked to a particular memory, a particular circumstance in your life. Uh, You know those sorts of songs, the ones where you just have to hear a couple of notes from them and suddenly all the memories just flood back and, and you're carried to another place, another time. I can remember bringing a friend home to his house the afternoon that his wife had died in hospital. My friend unlocked the door and nothing but silence greeted him. Uh, No one was there to come and meet him. No one was there to ask how his day was or throw their arms around him. And to try and fill that terrible silence, uh, Robbo walked over to the hi-fi, put on a song, sat on the lounge and just wept. A few days ago, I actually borrowed a CD from the Dubbo Library, a CD which, unbeknownst to me, had that very same song on it which my friend played that day. And so I brought the CD home and popped it on while I was doing some work, and when that particular song unexpectedly started to play, the memory just flooded back. It had been over 20 years, and yet in an instant, I was in my friend's home, sitting on the lounge, trying to get through this grief. So much so that I eventually got up and turned it off before the song had even finished because it was just too vivid. Songs can do that sort of thing to you. Friends, this morning I want us to read a song together which would have done that sort of thing to the people who stood around the cross as Jesus hung there gasping for breath. It's a song about grief, it's a song about loneliness, it's a song about despair. And in his dying breaths, it's a song which Jesus cried out the first line of. And for those who heard him, and for those who recognised that song, I reckon in an instant, their minds would have been carried back to an Old Testament scene, a scene of Israel's great King David, surrounded by enemies and trying to get through unbearable torment. But here's the thing, friends. As their minds would have swung back to that Old Testament song, they would have realised that that song, though it starts in darkness, it finishes in wonderful rejoicing. They would have realised that that song uh, was not like the song I was listening to from the library. The song on Jesus' lips is not a song to get up and turn off halfway through. This is a song to listen to all the way through because at its end, there is wonderful excitement and wonderful comfort. This is a good song to think about today, to think about why this of all days should be called Good Friday. The song on Jesus' dying lips is, of course, Psalm 22. Listen to how it starts. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. And am not silent. Friends, this is a dark place. This is a truly God forsaken place. This is a place where you keep crying out for help, day and night, we're told, and no one comes, not even God. You know He's there, you know He could help, you know that in the blink of an eye, He could deliver you, but He doesn't. You plead, He does nothing. You weep, He doesn't answer. 
You beg. He is silent. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that abandoned by God? I hope not. But it's what Jesus felt as he hung alone in the dark on the cross. See, it's telling, I think, that in the final moments of his life, as he began to physically unravel, Jesus could have quoted the very next psalm in the Old Testament. He could have chosen the famous 23rd psalm. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But Jesus didn't reach for that psalm. Because even though he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, in a very real sense, God was not with him. So he reached for the psalm before it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And look, I'm the first to admit that I don't fully understand this. In what sense can God the Father forsake God the Son? How does it work that two persons of the Trinity could ever be separated? How could it be that one could ever be without the other? I don't know. But what I do know is that as Jesus hung terrified on that cross, something profoundly traumatic was happening within God himself. Because what the rest of the Bible makes very clear is that as he hung there on the cross, Jesus had my sins, your sins, all the sins of his people on his shoulders, wearing them as his own. And therefore at that moment he experienced the depths of utter abandonment from God. He experienced the punishment of my sin and your sin and the sins of his people. That's what punishment for sin deserves, separation from God, being forsaken by God. It's what we deserve. But on the cross, it's what Jesus experienced in our place. But back to this Old Testament song and this tortured section of the song which Jesus deliberately chooses to identify with. And as terrifying as this moment is, if we keep reading, what we discover is that it's with enormous effort that the psalmist now interrupts his despair with memories of hope. So he's desperately trying to pull himself back from the edge of complete and utter hopelessness. And so he starts to preach to himself. He starts to pull himself together by recalling just who God is. Verse 3. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. It's an insidious and emotionally exhausting cycle that the psalm is now taking us on. See, it's a cycle that, as the difficulties press in on him, so terrible are they that the psalmist all but is collapsing under them. He is all but spiralling into complete and utter darkness. He is all but giving up his faith, but he crawls back from the brink and tries to regather his composure, tries to think more clearly about God, tries to muster his faith, which is what these verses are doing. It's a massive effort as he deliberately interrupts his train of thought, deliberately tries to drag his thoughts back onto the goodness of God. But it's hard. And suddenly it's, it's all too much again. And the pain is too great. 
and his soul just collapses all over again. God may rescue others, but he's not going to rescue me. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. The downward spiral is gathering speed. It's not just God who has forsaken him. It's everyone who looks at him. They mock him. They hurl insults at him. And he withers under their gaze. I, I am I'm just a worm. But then once more, in a monumental effort, can you believe it? He again interrupts himself, again pulls himself together, again struggles to preach to himself, again puts the brakes on his distress, again tries to rein in the panic that is within him. Verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Once more, David is reminding himself that even from within the womb, God has been with him in the past. Perhaps he's rehearsing Psalm 139. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And yet, friends, even here as he's trying to rein in his despair, even as he tries to just cling to that slender thread of faith, by the end of verse 11, his mind is starting to just cave in again. It's a hideous struggle. Don't be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. There's no one to help. The spiral is starting again. Everything's starting to collapse again. There's there's no one to help. No one. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat. My clothing. It's with these words that Psalm 22 reaches its lowest and most terrifying moment. Uh, Enemies abound, brutal enemies, animals, bulls, lions, dogs, encircling, piercing, tearing, gloating. And it's here that this psalm rings so true of Jesus, isn't it? So specifically true. The casting of lots for his clothing, the piercing of his hands and feet, the insults, the gloating, the thirst, the humiliation, the loneliness. It is so true of Jesus. So specifically true of Jesus. Which is helpful for us to realise. Because this is not a song about just anyone. This is a song about a king. 
And not just any king. This is a song about the king of God's people. Song of David. And look, I know that there are aspects of this psalm that perhaps many of us can resonate with. Maybe there are aspects that resonate with you because you can remember times when you have felt forsaken by God. Maybe you can remember times when you've cried out to God only to feel as if your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe there are times when you don't feel as if God has listened to you. But friends, as much as this psalm might resonate with you personally, it is not a song for just anyone. It is a song for God's king. And you and I are very much onlookers here. Onlookers to a moment of anguish when God's own king was feeling all but defeated. And that is why this psalm helps us to get into Jesus' mind and to understand what he thought was happening on the cross. Because hanging there in the darkness, when Jesus takes on the words of this psalm, he is taking on the words of a king. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They are the words of David, King David, and any Jew at the time would have known that. And with these words being cried out from the gloom, everyone standing around there would have had their minds snap back immediately to Psalm 22. And immediately they, they would know that if they didn't know already, that Jesus himself sees himself as God's king. He is owning this royal song as his own. And that notice that they nailed above him at the cross, the king of the Jews, by crying out these words, Jesus is saying, it's true. I am the king. This is my psalm, a king's psalm, a king's psalm of grief. But more than that, a king's psalm of deliverance, a king's psalm of vindication, a king's psalm of salvation. Because ironically, having reached now the darkest moment in the psalm, ironically, it is precisely at this moment that the song flips into its most confident declaration of salvation of all. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Despite everything that has happened around him, the psalmist still has confidence in God as his strength and his helper and his rescuer. And the reality is that by the end of verse 21, God has saved him. Now, the NIV, which most of us have and which is on the screen, it masks the grandeur of the verse, actually. The ESV is much better to the original. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You see, it's an affirmation in that verse. It's a statement. You have rescued me. You've done it. And from that sudden exclamation of salvation the rest of the song the rest of the psalm now simply explodes into a celebration as the repercussions of this salvation is now sung about because remember this is this isn't just anyone in the psalm this is God's king and when God's king is rescued that does not just bring vindication to the king, as great as that is. When God's king is rescued, it carries enormous ramifications 
for the king's people as well. And that's what the psalm now goes on to express as the language overflows with the benefits and the repercussions of God's king being delivered. And we get this ever-increasing bursting out into circles of salvation. As Laura now finishes the rest of the psalm, listen for it. Listen for the ever-growing picture as the king's deliverance reverberates through Israel to the ends of the earth, to even future generations. Verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. And those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. Did you hear the reverberations? Verse 23, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth remember and turn to the Lord. Verse 30, future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. He has done it. Can you believe it? He has done it. This is a wonderful song. Can you pull back and soak in the flow of it? It starts with God's king caught in crippling grief, barely clinging to his faith. But he does cling to it. And in the middle of the song, he is saved. And so is triggered off a world-engulfing kingdom of salvation. And that is why Jesus owns this song on the cross. He was crushed and bruised. He was pinned to a cross in the dark and he took on the sins of his people. And as the song he owned, as his own, goes on to celebrate, he is a king to be delivered. He's a king soon to bring in a world engulfing kingdom of salvation for he has done it. It's it's a great last statement. He's done it. It is what today is all about. Can you soak it in? And can you soak in the ever-growing circles of this song, Psalm 22? Can you soak in the magnitude of what it is that Jesus did on the cross? This morning, can you perhaps, just in your mind, get rid of any sort of war that confines the cross to simply what to what Jesus has done for you? Can you you perhaps drink in the size of the kingdom 
that this psalm celebrates. Because yes, we are all individuals. And yes, every single individual, one of us, must come to an individual trust and obedience to King Jesus. We must come to King Jesus alone for ourselves. But once we have done that, can you see that once we have done that, we have joined something absolutely huge. And when Jesus was on the cross, if there was anything on his mind other than the sheer horror of being abandoned by his father. If there was anything on his mind, it was this world-engulfing kingdom that his suffering was about to bring in. So on the cross, through laboured breaths, he cried out Psalm 22, a song that starts in crippling pain and ends in celebration. A song that starts with a suffering king and ends with a worldwide kingdom of salvation. For he has done it. Think about it. Think about it when you're struggling with a family devotion that no one seems to be listening to. Think about it when you're in the middle of your scripture class. You are part of a worldwide kingdom of salvation. Think about it as you head off to work, determined with all your heart to work at it so that your colleagues might see your good deeds and be attracted to Jesus. Think about it as you support your friends through Bible college. Think about it as you come along to your church family and offer hospitality to newcomers. Think about it as you sit alone in your room praying to God for your unbelieving parents or your unbelieving children or your unbelieving friends. Think about it as you nervously talk to your friends about Jesus and offer them something, perhaps a Christian book to read. Think about this psalm. Think about the kingdom that we are part of when we follow Jesus, a worldwide kingdom of salvation. And friends, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, if you have not submitted to Jesus as your king, if you have not joined this kingdom that Jesus ignited on that first Good Friday, then please understand that Psalm 22 is telling you that you are missing out on the great purpose of this entire creation. Jesus died on the cross. He was forsaken by his Father so that you could join this kingdom. It's why you were made. It's why God put you on this earth. He put you here so that you too could say, He has done it. He puts you here so that you too could know that salvation is finished and all you have to do is throw yourself at King Jesus' feet. All you have to do is give yourself to him in trust and you will become part of this kingdom, his kingdom, a worldwide, engulfing, universal kingdom, part of which is in this very room this morning. Because following Jesus may be many things, but it is never, ever small scale. Therefore declare his name to everyone. Praise him in the congregation, for he has done it. Let me pray.
Father God, thank you that your son has done it. Thank you that in owning the sins of his people, that your son has triggered a kingdom that engulfs this world through time and space. Father, thank you that we can be part of that kingdom and we know we don't deserve it. Thank you that as Jesus hung in the gloom on the cross, that he was owning our sins on himself, taking our punishment in himself. Father, thank you. Thank you that salvation, being part of this kingdom, can be ours because of what Jesus went through that first Good Friday. And Father, thank you for your word, for this song, this psalm, that helps us to see the terror that Jesus went through, but helps us to see the wonderful kingdom that he has brought in. Thank you that we can be part of it. Amen.